Carol, thank you so much for all your incredible new reviews. They've truly brought me so much joy and helped remind me why I love this community of Spirit Queens so much. And if you want to keep your girl vibing at a thousand P, leave me a rating, review, and good end spell to help us get noticed by the podcast algorithm gods. And while you ponder how creative and iconic your review is going to be, I'm going to remind you that this season is literally made possible by my fave CBD company, Happy Buddha Hemp. I'll be ranting and raving about them soon. But my spirit guides are actually telling me... What is that? Oh, start the episode. Aaron, I have to say a thing now, which is like, it sounds like you've been in every one of my therapy sessions. I swear to you. It's like, you're serious that you just, just be just based on my chart. You knew these things. I, I, I don't know much about you because we were in contact a year ago. Yes. So no, I have not been going to your therapy sessions. In a past life, he's a comedian in this life. He's got a podcast about it. Everything he loves, magic, magic, psychic, mediums, astrology. Hi, I'm Mike Kelton, and you're listening to. Hi there, Carol, and welcome back to your fave podcast. Today's episode is going to give you a peek into the recently popular personality test meets astrological system called human design. It's all the rage on TikTok, so I have a feeling you're going to love it. But before we get into all of that, I want to give you the real real about this story because it's going to get deep and I need you strapped in and emotionally ready for this, Carol. This episode takes us on a behind-the-scenes peek into the culminating chapter of my moonside journey, unpacking the bumpy and emotional road leading up to my wedding. Why my wedding? Well, because if you're a human on Earth who has ever been to one, heard of one, or had one yourself, you know that these culturally co-opted, extremely expensive celebrations that instantly trigger all of your family's collective mental illness bring up, well, a lot. And with all of these things swirling in my mind, my biggest fear leading up to the wedding was that I wasn't going to be able to be present on something that was supposed to be the best day of my life. But before we fall down the wedding planning rabbit hole, let me take you back to where all weddings begin. The proposal. Now, if you're a longtime Beyond fan, you know all about the haunted day. But if for any reason you don't, I need to give you some context. So Carol, here's a 60 second recap of the haunted dresser. Tracy, start the clock. When Andrew and I moved into our old apartment, the one we eventually got kicked out of, Andrew was shopping for furniture online to which he wanted to pick a vintage dresser that I hated because I said it had quote, dark energy. Andrew said YOLO and he got it anyway. To which I was mad and honestly a little scared because dead ass the dresser was scary. What's more, I started having nightmares about the dresser and somehow convinced Andrew to do a seance and a cleansing of said dresser. The cleansing absolutely slayed and everything was fine. No dark energy until one day, out of nowhere, the dresser drawer opened. I don't like you have to say what just happened. happened. Just no, you phone. have to just say what had just happened. The dresser drawer opened. Not kidding. The drawer opened. 
to which Andrew thought the dresser was on a tilt with slanted old wood floors, but I knew the truth, that the dresser was haunted. Thus begin an iconic online discord with Team Haunt and Team Tilt. You know which team is more fun, Carol. You've got mail. Anyway, the dresser drawer stopped opening somewhere around the second year of us living there. And now you are officially caught up. Tracy, was that a minute? Honestly, I don't care because time is a construct. So there we were, two gays living in Brooklyn with an Instagram famous and potentially haunted dresser until our first night in our new apartment when something so scary happened, I grabbed my phone and started to get hashtag content. What just happened, Mike? (laughs) No, no, you tell me what happened. Out of literally nowhere, the dresser drawer again opened. You tell me what happened. We're- I think you're I think you're fucking me. I'm serious. Are you fucking with me, Andrew? I kept asking Andrew if he was punking me because you have to understand, it hadn't opened in months. Not only that, but his theory was that it was on a tilt. And honestly, our old apartment was a bit rickety with a questionably creaky floor. But this one? solid floor. No way it was tilted. I mean, I'm t- always team tilt, so like, maybe yeah. it just, the, it just... But ser- like seriously, seriously, why would it open now? I'm serious. Because it's our first night. It knows. So I clutched my pearls, put my Mezcal mark down, and walked over to the dresser. I had to see what the hell was going on. Could the spirit that originally haunted the dresser be back? Was it mad that we moved? Did it not like Cobble Hill? What more could it want? Tribeca? So I got to the dresser, looked down, and saw two words burned into the bottom of the drawer. And those words were, marry me. Are you serious? I'm serious. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> what is that? Yes! Yes, of course. Of course I'll marry you. Oh my God. And that's the story of how I accidentally recorded my own proposal. But in actuality, it was genuinely one of the most joyful and unexpected moments of my life because Andrew really got me, and in a way that was truly perfect. It was so spooky, creative, thoughtful, funny, and without a doubt, the best way to propose to a guy who has a supernatural podcast. I could genuinely go on and on and talk about this forever, but just to keep things moving for this episode, it really made me start to think about what this actually meant. Because after Andrew proposed, After the calls from family and friends faded and the bottles of champagne were recycled, the stressful reality of wedding planning set in. Touring potential venues, arguing over the budget, dying on a hill for a band, and of course, arguably, the most stressful part, the invite list. Our order of operations was we made the invite list first to figure out 
how big of a venue you would need to get to then choose that venue and blah, blah. So like the very first thing we did was, was the invite list. Um, this is me sitting down with Andrew post-wedding to unpack some of the things I was actually struggling with in hopes of giving you, Carol, a better understanding of this last leg of my moonside journey that led up to the wedding. And don't expect him to sugarcoat things, sweetie, because one thing I know about my now husband, he keeps it very real. And we had to talk about everyone. And so I kept having to knock people off the list who were who were your people. And you felt it, it felt lopsided because you're like, oh, you keep, you know, saying no to my people. I'm like, yeah, because I already pre pre-filtered my list. And everyone that I'm presenting is an it's like my aunt or one of our best friends or like my best friend from college. Um, so it was obvious who I was presenting and you were presenting people who you like just ran into at the coffee shop. You're like, I just ran into Larry. He's gotta come. And I'm like, who is Larry? And Mike would be like, oh my God, back in 2010, we were on an improv team together. It was a practice improv team, actually. And we, oh my God, we saw, we had the best nights of our life. We had dollar slices and we, we would laugh. And for my people-pleasing girlies out there, I know this isn't a unique struggle when it comes to wedding planning, but truly for me, it took up way too much brain space. I'm the kind of person who gets knocked into by a stranger exiting the subway and immediately apologizes to them. I'm like, ouch, I'm so sorry. You're a good person. So when it came to my wedding invites, for whatever reason, I created scenarios in my mind that made honing in on our guest list like a people-pleasing mountain to climb. But that was just the beginning. As we got deeper into planning, I found myself second-guessing everything. You are always so sure about things. You find a leather jacket at All Saints, you become obsessed with it, and you get it. And you fall in love with this colorful button-down shirt from Bonobos, and you buy it. You are so sure, and you just you pull the trigger. You second-guessed a lot of things, as it, especially as it pertained to the venue um, that we were both obsessed, obsessed. with. Upset. We walked in. It's the coolest venue. Immediately, we knew. We both decided. We, both knew. we knew. But we it was look at God. Look at God. Um, but then we both decided, or it was part of a, a our wedding planner, Jason, had, had kind of set up some tours for us. So we, we were touring other places actively as well. And so even though we had our favorite, you were you second guess. You're like, well, what if it acts, it's actually at this place, at the Ace Hotel? And or what if it's at this restaurant? Or what if it's here? And even like months after we signed the contract with our venue and sent them the deposit, you would bring up yeah. whether we made the right choice and whether we should actually change our mind and do it somewhere else. And you you were unsure about a lot of things. I was second guessing everything. I was working from a place of insecurity and I was second guessing all of our decisions, which like, was so not like me. And you were so I was sure. all over the place and struggling to feel grounded and secure in my decisions because the stakes just felt way too high to make the wrong choice. Especially when it came to the most difficult emotional obstacle course leading up to the wedding. My family. Andrew. Well, it's because the work of wedding prep for you 
was a lot about like your family and mm-hmm. feeling confident being in a room at your wedding where you were going to be the star and making sure to kind of put out any fires proactively that that might kind of happen because of your complicated family dynamic. I feel like something I was struggling with was like, I wasn't able to like think about our experience, but I feel like I was really thinking about how they were going to experience the wedding. Mm -hmm. Which is beautiful. That's so nice. You know, they, that you, I think, I think that's what we did well with wedding planning. We both did that. We both thought about our guests a lot and about how we were hosting people and we wanted them to feel, we wanted them to feel some type of way. So we wanted, especially our families to feel like co-owners of the event, like they were VIPs, like they were almost co-hosting with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that was hard because it, it was just relational. It was about, you know, it, your parents are divorced and about them being in the same room together with both of their new plus ones mm-hmm. um, and how complicated that was going to be. And it, and so it was a lot of, you know, again, like a invisible work that you were doing. You were talking to your, your dad about what he's going to say to your mom when he sees her at the rehearsal dinner. You talk to your mom about what she's going to say to your dad's girlfriend you're in a, and you you had all these conversations about these conversations in a way that I think was like really uh um you were trying to like protect yourself mm-hmm. you were really worried that you were going to be taken out of the wedding because somebody might misbehave or do something or say something that would ruin your experience totally and so I think a lot of what we we you were at least were on the defense. And so you weren't trying to think like, how can I have fun at this wedding? What do I want to do? It was more like, how do I prevent other people and other situations from ruining this for me? As much as I hate listening to this, I genuinely did feel this way. I spent more time worrying about my family dynamics than checking things off of the wedding planning checklist. And without spilling all of my family drama, because I can feel your curiosity, Carol. I can say that while my parents officially got divorced while I was in college, in my opinion, it should have happened way sooner, making my home environment growing up pretty contentious and sometimes incredibly stressful. Which is why, as a teen, I found myself getting really good at finding ways to break the tension, even if that meant putting on a full-out performance of Stephen Sondheim's breathtaking masterpiece Into the Woods in our living room. And parental attendance was absolutely mandatory. But with more than a decade since they split, I hadn't had to break out this skill. But now, with them being in the same room for the wedding with their new partners, this feeling came right back up to the surface. Which is why thinking about the big day and being up there professing my gay love to Andrew was making me feel, well, not Gucci. And so I think a lot of the things that bumped up for the wedding, I was more insecure than normal because I didn't feel like myself. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I would agree with that, that you you were less yourself, less full of joy, less confident in the last few years than you've been in the past. But but all for, but in a productive way. I think I worked through and I really got to another you weren't, I in a, you weren't in a slump and just being stagnant. You were you were going, th- you were actively 
working on things and butting up against things and overcoming challenges that were weighing you down. So you were you were really burdened, but you were getting stuff done. And it, all of this stuff, the, the insecurities, old dynamics, fears of parents murdering each other on the dance floor, made me do something I've never actually fully committed to before. So for the first time in my life, I went to therapy and started regularly talking through all of my anxieties surrounding my family, my people-pleasing, and lack of confidence in making decisions when it came to the wedding. And believe it or not, things really started getting better. And Carol, don't worry. This is definitely not an ad for better help. But I could actively feel a difference especially because I started to have the tools and the courage to express myself in ways I really hadn't before. Even little sayings and phrases like, I'm not responsible for my parents' emotions, blew my mind. So in case you randomly came to this podcast a supernatural enthusiast and therapy skeptic, you're wrong. You should absolutely believe in both. But despite all the progress I was making in there. I was still finding it difficult to share these struggles with my loved ones and you, Carol. I I feel like I it has it's not in my character to be like, hey, I was struggling. It feels awkward, but I'm able to share it with you because you like intimately know me, which hopefully this resonates with them. That's my hope. You're so open though. You do you really you struggle telling people that you're having a hard time? Yeah. Why? Because I think I. So many people treat me like a person who helps them through hard times. Like everyone looks at me. Oh, I feel like I'm going to get emotional. I feel like everyone like comes to me when like they need help. And so I think that like I have struggled with being like I actually need help because I don't want to like I want them to be okay. And I think that's been my whole journey is like working through not worrying about other people being okay because i have to f- fucking take care of myself first makes sense as difficult as it is for me to leave something that vulnerable in the episode i felt it was important to share because sitting there with andrew during this interview so late in the season i was finally able to verbalize the crux of what has been behind all of my moonside struggles that i consciously decided to share with you Because I knew that what I was feeling wasn't unique. And I finally understood that it also wasn't embarrassing. After all, the shame that I created is what kept me from sharing some of those feelings in the first place. Which is literally what made me so freakishly tell Andrew and Tracy that I was feeling good after deeply holding on to Maria's betrayal that I shared with you, Carol, in episode one of this season. So... I was like, doll, let's leave it in. And that courage and clarity has really come from, I'm literally so sorry to bring it up again, but therapy. But Carol, therapy was not the only thing that came to me during my wedding planning madness. Because during this time, while I was producing this season of the podcast, producer Tracy recommended looking into a new viral self-help astrology-adjacent system called human design that she kept hearing about. And as if the universe was pushing me in that direction, I remembered an email that I received 
from an actual human design coach and expert who thought the subject matter would be a good fit for this podcast. Maybe there was something there, some cosmic insight that I was meant to hear. So I listened to Mother Universe and I hopped on a Zoom. Carol, my spirit guides have a message for you. Just kidding. They had nothing to do with this, but I genuinely want to let you know about some of my fave new things that have made my life and sleep habits a bit more chill and vibe-worthy in the past year. CBD products from our season three presenting sponsor, the iconic Happy Buddha Hemp. I've been truly obsessed with the full-spectrum CBD gummies for a while now, and I gotta say, sleeping through the night is an absolute vibe. It's made me more alert during the day and brought my general anxiety to an all-time low, which is a vibe. If you haven't tried CBD products before, don't fret, Carol. I was also a noob when I tried Happy Buddha Hemp products, and I quickly found the perfect dose for me. I recommend starting with the gummies and taking half of one 30 minutes before bed and see how it feels. The next night, do the same amount or go even further to really connect with your subconscious in the dream world. I can confidently tell you that I have tried and love all of the HBH products, which is why I literally asked them to sponsor my podcast. I know, it's sick. So if you want to get in on the CBD life, Head over to happybuddahemp.com and use the code BEYOND for 30% off. Again, it's 30% off at happybuddahemp.com using the code BEYOND. This works for all of the products, Carol. So go ham and have a good day. (laughs) Carol, I need to take a quick moment to tell you about a pod you simply must check out. It's called Perfume Room with Emma Vernon. Emma Vernon is a comedian, j'adore, dating expert, we love, and perfume obsessive that is extremely knowledgeable about all things fragrance. The way Emma describes a scent is pure poetry. She captures every note and explains them in a way where it's like you, the listener, are smelling along with her. She effortlessly interviews heavy hitters in the fragrance world and other fragrance fans for a behind-the-scenes look into what I consider an untapped niche. Also, when Emma found out that my signature scent is Creed's Vetiver, she said that fragrance energetically is like Colin Firth. Wholesome, father, classic, love that for Mike. And now I can live my life knowing I have my spirit guides and the Queen of Fragrance podcast on my side. So check out Perfume Room with Emma Vernon wherever you get your podcast. You will love it. My name is Erin Claire Jones, and I am a human design guide and teacher. Human design is a system based on your time, date, and place of birth that reveals your energetic blueprint and how you're wired to thrive, whether it's in your work, relationships, parenting, all of it. It gives us each our own roadmap. It's not predictive. It's not going to tell you that like you're going to move to Colorado or you're going to meet a partner at 43, you know, it's more around helping you understand your own kind of operating system so you can Mm. really flow with it and not against it. And while I was a bit bummed that Aaron wasn't about to tell me my future, I was interested to hear a bit about my design. But first, she went on to explain the five different human design types. In human design, there are five different types, manifesting generators, generators, projectors, reflectors, and manifestors. Type is such an important piece and always the piece to begin with. And it's also just the first piece. There's so much more underneath it. So 
super high level generators and manifesting generators are like the doers, like the ones that have this like consistent energy to like build, create, make things happen for manifesting generators. They're often quite multi-passionate moving in between lots of different things. Generators might be a little bit more like masterful focus on one. And both those types are really meant to kind of let things come to them and wait for them to spark their gut feeling. FYI, Andrew is a manifesting generator and a double Sag. Okay, I'll stop now. Projectors are kind of the leaders, guides, advisors, teachers, not here to do all the doing, often very innately wise about people and really here to be invited in and recognized by others. Okay, we love projectors. Manifestors are these kind of like disruptive, innovative forces that are really here to kind of do things differently and bring newness into the world. Their energy can be really spurty as well. Can't confirm, but if Gary Vaynerchuk isn't a manifester, I'll eat my hat. Like weeks of creation and then kind of pulling back and just being, you know, resting and hermiting. And their strategy is really about kind of initiating and starting things. Um, And then the final type is a reflector and they're the rarest type. It's about 1% of the population. And these are people that are kind of our collective mirrors that are always kind of taking in and amplifying the energy that they're around and mirroring it back. Also, cannot confirm or deny, but that is absolutely Joni Mitchell, without a doubt, 100%. And with an understanding of the five types, I was really curious to learn a bit more about my design to see if she was going to reveal anything about what I was actually working through leading up to the wedding. You are a projector in human design. I assume you know that much. Is that right? I did know that, yes. Me and Tracy did a little research months ago, and we both figured out we're both projectors. Oh, my God. I'm a projector. (laughs) We're all projectors. Amazing. So we tend to find each other. So um, what I would say about being a projector, and I'm sure we can include a link in the show notes, but you can look Mm -hmm. your design up at humandesignblueprint.com, also lots of other sites online. But what it means to be a projector is that you are very wise about people, like we were saying, Mm. very naturally sensitive to others. These people are often very natural CEOs, managers, podcast hosts. Therapist, mm-hmm. coaches, like really good at guiding others and asking the right questions. Um, but so much of the gift of projectors is like how they see the world and how sensitive they are and not how much mm-hmm. they can do. Okay. And so I mean, projectors- actually obsessed and kind of validating to hear. For one, this projector stuff makes this podcast make a lot of sense. And it also clicked why the emotional work for the wedding was so important to me and why I possibly was less focused on the more administrative tasks so- at hand. We all have areas in our design. We call these open and undefined centers. They're like the white shapes. The chart is really crazy in case anyone hasn't looked Mm -hmm. before. But they're basically areas where you're really, really sensitive to other people's energy and where you can get the most taken off track, but also have the most to learn. And one thing I would remind you of is that you're deeply sensitive to how other people feel about a decision. And so there might be times in your life where you're around somebody and they like feel really strongly and you're like, yes, 100%, let's do it. You know, And then you like leave their energy and you're like, I do not want to do that thing, but their excitement was infectious, you know? And so like, I think it's important for you to be cognizant of that sensitivity Uh, and be really tuned to what your intuition feels like. So you're not uh, kind of like, you know, just confusing the two or meshing the two and you really are acting based on your own intuitive knowing. And immediately you hear me laughing on this call because I'm thinking, oh my God, this is me in the coffee shop running into Larry. I was shook to hear about how my sensitivities to Larry's experience not being invited to the wedding was taking priority over my experience not wanting Larry at the wedding. And it was actually pretty validating to hear that maybe that was a part of my design. And FYI, Larry's not his real name. Larry's no one's real name. 
So two ones feel really relevant just based on what you're sharing. Um, one is that you're like a hyper empath in your design. Mm -hmm. And so there's like, just like a deep sensitivity to others' feelings. And I mean that like to the extent that not only do you like feel their feelings, they're like amplified within you. Like someone's feeling a thing and you're like, I feel you. And I like raise you 200% in my own body, you know? And so I would say one of your biggest shadowy potentials Mm -hmm. is getting overwhelmed with other people's feelings and taking them on as your own trying to fix them, resolve them, make sense of them. And also avoiding confrontation, mostly because you feel so much. You're like, wow. I'm gonna Literally the biggest struggles I had with this wedding were because I love my family so much and wanted them to feel comfortable at my wedding. Maybe this is everyone, but when I'm around my parents, especially my mother, I can get to this codependent place where I feel like her emotions are my own. Maybe it's a mother and a gay son thing, I don't know, but if she's stressed, angry, sad, well then I'm feeling that too. So Erin literally said something that I never really had the words for before. And apparently, that was a part of my design. What's more, I was terrified of having the difficult conversation or confronting my family about these fears out of my own fear that they would be upset with me. You're like, I'm going to just like sugarcoat it because like I'm feeling a lot and like I don't want to rock the boat because you're going to feel a thing and then I'm going to feel the thing. I'm like, I'm just good not doing it. And I would say a big, big lesson for you is around a healthy sense of detachment. Mm. It's like, I see you're feeling this thing and I know it's not my own. I'm not here to fix it or be responsible for it because you're going to move through it. And also like you're really here to learn how to like say the hard things and Mm. be uncomfortable and like trust that you will almost always feel better on the other side of confrontation and not saying the thing to somebody often takes up so much more space than just saying the freaking thing. Aaron, I have to say a thing now, which is like, it sounds like you've been in every one of my therapy sessions. I swear to you, it's like, you're serious that you just, just be, just based on my chart, you knew these things. I, I, I don't know much about you because we were in contact a year ago. Yes. So no, I have not been going to your therapy sessions. It is no, I absolutely believe you, and that would be ridiculous and insane. But like, it's 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 really right now. I was actually shocked with how accurate this human design reading was, and how much the things Aaron pointed out about my design overlapped with a lot of the work that I was already doing. It's like Aaron was giving context for why so many of the things I was struggling with were so tough for me. So before we wrap the call. Aaron went on to explain to me a little bit about why I was struggling so much to trust my instincts during this time. So then we start drilling down beneath the type. So there's a piece of our design called authority and it speaks to how we best make decisions. Like in my opinion, this is like arguably one of the most important pieces of our design because like we're making decisions all the time. Mm -hmm. So you and I are both projectors, but we make decisions in opposite ways. Mm -hmm. And so you are what we call a splenic projector. I call this tune into your intuition. Mm -hmm. It basically means that you are meant to be a very spontaneous, fast decision maker based on your intuition in the moment. Like I would say, say as soon as you get like an intuitive hit and it's clear, like there's literally no need to wait, you can just act. And if you do wait, you'll probably talk yourself out of it. And the moment it's gone, you know? And so your work is like not only to get quiet enough to hear yourself as you were sharing earlier, but then to be courageous enough to act on it. I hung up the call with Erin and was 100% ready to join her cult. In all seriousness, though, human design is not a cult, but it did help me see the power in recognition. Because just simply acknowledging where I was struggling was extremely empowering for me. 
it took out all of the guessing work. Because once I heard about being a projector and how deeply sensitive I was to other people's energies, I was able to focus on my own. Furthermore, I finally had some difficult conversations with my family and said some things that I had been holding on to for many, many years. Yeah, it felt weird and it wasn't easy. But once I said them, my family was like, yeah, that makes sense, Mike. Why didn't you tell me sooner? And I was like, wait, what? You can just tell people your real feelings and it's not the end of the world? Who knew? Human design gave me a blueprint for where and how to direct my energy. And therapy gave me the space to not only unpack my past, but find a path to my future. With a little bit of magic and a whole lot of psychology, I was able to have tough conversations, set boundaries, and get more and more comfortable putting myself first day in and day out until the very day I was working towards finally arrived. And when it was time for me to walk down the aisle to Robin's Show Me Love, looking like an absolute model in my custom-made double-breasted cream jacket and olive green tuxedo pants, the doors opened and I walked into a room next to my mom, Kathy Kay, and I felt like I was floating and overflowing with joy. I kid you not, it was one of the most magical moments I've ever experienced in my adult life. I know people say this, but walking into a room full of people you love beaming at you is incredible. And when I got up there on stage to listen to Andrew's vows. One of my favorite things about you is how much you think you are like Carrie Matheson. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Carrie Matheson is the bipolar CIA operative played by Claire Danes in the hit show Time Series Homeland. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. Carrie was a spy who was able to keep secrets. <laughs> During eight gripping seasons, Carrie would plan out elaborate schemes and sneak around embassies on missions. But Mike, you can't even get dressed in the dark. <laughs> but I love that. I love that you see yourself in her. To the outside world, it's easy to reduce you to your brand. You're fun, you're energetic, and those things are all true. But my favorite things about you are more complex than that. Like Carrie Matheson, you are principled, and you work really hard to make the world around you better. Even though it can be scary at times, you are wildly courageous, and you always stand up for what you believe in. Like Carrie, you are always interested in learning and growing and evolving. Carrie grows and morphs in, from a pretty complex human to a super complex human over the course of eight seasons. And in what is almost eight years of being together, I've also seen you grow from complex to super complex. <laughs> like Carrie, you assume the best in others. Even when shady characters like Dara Dahl give most people reasons to be suspicious. And all while you're assuming the best, you are totally sure of it too. You see and commit to seeing the best in others at all times, which you did for me when we met 12 years ago. I was the most present I have ever been. Truly, it felt like a bolt of lightning was going through my body, making each word and each look feel like it would last forever. 
And when it came time for my vows, my God, I was so present. Let me start by saying how incredibly lucky I feel to be standing here in front of as many straight people as we could gather <laughs> to profess my gay love to you. <laughs> and for the first time in a couple of years, I was feeling incredibly grateful and like I had made it to the other side. The other side of my moonside journey. I truly have never seen anyone research a product, restaurant, or vacation property as thoroughly as you do. And as a person who used to not read menus because I figured I could just get something like a chicken parm, <laughs> my world has completely shifted on its access because of your enriching presence in it. You have opened my eyes to a world of flavors, places, experiences, and YouTube review channels that make the actual act of doing the thing much more enjoyable. You have made my world wider and my life fuller. It also makes me feel pretty good thinking about how you vet decisions. Because if you're marrying me, I must truly be the best option out there. In case you're wondering what Andrew thought about the wedding. It was a fabulous event. <laughs> John Garris. In the words of my dad, it was a fabulous event. <laughs> fabulous. Or in the words of my dad, it wasn't a wedding. It was an event. It was an event. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really, I mean, it was really special. It was really fun. And it was, um, I, I keep saying I felt the most present I've ever felt in my life, which was my goal was to be present so I could actually experience all the work that we did planning it. Yeah. And that happened in spades. Like that yeah. feels so fucking successful. Exactly. And it, and that was nice. You didn't spend any time, I don't think you did, really worrying about your family. Our, our wedding experience was about us. Yes. Like we were really locked in all day. I mean, of course, we were getting married that day and we we're spending every t every moment together, but we were really connected. You were never worrying about what was going to happen. And I wasn't with your maybe some family dynamic and I was never worried about, you know, something logistically going wrong. Um, we were both able to really release on that day and um and enjoy it and 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 celebrate each other and be with each other on that day. And what a relief to hear Andrew say that because it really was without pause the best day of our lives. And here's the thing. Being in this new phase, feeling like I finally moved past these shadowy elements gave me the space and the confidence to ask the one lingering question about the great unknown that I've had since I started this podcast. A question that could define my life. Am I a psychic? Well, I have a funny feeling we'll find out together on the season finale of 
beyond. Goodbye. This episode of Beyond with Mike Hilton was brought to you by Mike Hilton Productions, presented by Happy Buddha Hemp. Executive produced by Mike Kelton, Tracy Soren, and Alex Ramsey. Directed by Tracy Soren. Editing by Mike Kelton. Additional editing by Tracy Soren and Alex Ramsey. Written by Mike Kelton. Additional writing by Tracy Soren. Sound design and studio engineering by Brian Flaherty. Music and theme song by Henry Kapersky. Theme song vocals performed by Katherine Thomas. Beyond with Mike Kelton thanks Forever Dog Productions for their continued support. And of course, Mike thanks all of his spirit guides, crystals, and honestly, Key Lime LaCroix for making this season possible. 